Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. Um, and today we've got a very special guest. We've got Bethan. Bethan is an ex-member of uh, the Mormons and uh, it's great to have you on the What Should I Think About podcast. Bethan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, so I understand that you grew up within the, the Mormon church. Could you tell us a little bit about what that was like growing up within that organization? Um, it was, it was nice for me at the time. Um, my parents were obviously members of the Mormon church. Um, there was points in, in my kind of early childhood when they wouldn't, they didn't go to church and things like that, but we actually moved from Utah to the UK when I was 11 um, and then just after that, I started going to the Mormon church again because I think it was about 12 when I started just because my mom thought it would be a good idea, especially moving to a new country, had like no friends, you know, starting over um, to have people yep. to associate with. So I started going from then. Um, and it was particularly when I was younger, it was it started off as like a bit of fun because you have like activities for like young women and I could, you know, see it friends regularly and things like that um but it's kind of like one of those things where as you kind of get older and learn a bit more about things there's obviously things that then start impacting you negatively in terms of thinking mm. and things like that so sure mm. so um obviously we want to talk about some of that stuff um and obviously uh your leaving process we want to talk about that i i I'd really like to, obviously, so I don't know how much you know about the podcast, but I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness um, and um, sort of when Celine came along was the was the time when I started to really think about whether I wanted to remain one. So I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness as well. Yeah. Um, and um, the Mormons, um, I suppose the, the funny thing is about groups like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons is, you know, we kind of look at each other and, and say, well, they're, they're a bit weird, aren't they? <laughs> you know? um, so, so as I was knocking on doors as a pioneer, full-time minister preaching our form of, of the gospel, you know, we'd bump in from time to time. We'd been bump into the odd uh, couple of uh, Mormon missionaries. And, yeah. um, you know, so we'd have a little chat with them. And it, I was saying to Celine, it was a bit like, you know, two sets of bots talking to each other. Um, <laughs> but it's it's kind of weird. But so I'm kind of interested uh, in the whole, what it's like to be uh, a Mormon and the belief system. Um, obviously, we don't want to go into loads and loads of detail, but can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's the worldview of somebody who's a member of that church? So basically, um, they believe that we are 
here on earth to be tested we have a pre-mortal existence a mortal existence and then an immortal existence so before we came to this earth we were kind of like spirit children of god um and he basically they, they they think there's like a war between god and satan and anyone that's come down to earth was on the good side basically um and so we're here to be tested and then when we die we then based on how good we were and if you remember the church you go to a set level of kind of heaven then they they don't really believe in hell specifically they they kind of call it outer darkness and it's kind of where all the people who rejected god or really really horrible people go um but there's like an interim period after you die where you have a chance to repent as well and they do baptisms for the dead where you basically when you die and everyone gets resurrected you have kind of spirit missionaries that will teach you the gospel and if you accept it um then someone on earth gets baptized on your behalf and then you can go to one of the kind of kingdoms but if you reject it then you you go to outer darkness then so after you die you still have an opportunity to kind of be saved as it were but you kind of you won't go to like the top level of heaven. You just get one of the kind of lesser ones. The minor, minor mm. levels of heaven. Okay. Yeah. So so we like we're talking sort of baptism by proxy. Then is that is that right? So yeah, basically. So from the age of twelve, it's normally mm. like anyone can do it. But from the age of twelve, you start going to the temple. So you have like your normal church buildings where you have church services and things like that, and then they have temples where they do uh, like marriages and um, baptisms for the dead and things like that. So from the age of 12, you start going to the temple. As long as you're worthy, you go to the temple and they have a baptismal font and they'll say so-and-so on behalf of this person and, you know, pick a name and, right. you know, we're going to baptize you. And you're supposed to they'll ask you if the person accepts. So you're supposed to kind of use the holy spirit as a guide to tell you whether this person accepts the baptism and if you say yes dunk you under the water and go on to the next name so you can do like a ton of baptisms in one go for oh really so so you go right so when you say the font is that um as jehovah's witnesses we had a a baptism pool where we would literally be dunked under the water it's not the same for yeah it's, it's, it's essentially the same it's Okay. It's kind of like a, a super fancy one in the temple. Everything everything looks very nice and expensive. And But yeah, okay. it's essentially the same thing. You have to wear all white. They give you, when you get yeah. there, they give you like a jumpsuit to put on. Or yeah. you can bring your own, but it has to have like set specifications mm-hmm. on what you can wear. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, you'll just do, you could do like 10 to 15 baptisms in a row for some different people. Oh, wow. Or if you, they, they encourage you to do genealogy and get like your list of relatives and then you can take your own list of relatives and do baptisms on their behalf as well if you want to right Right. okay so um with this holy spirit thing has anybody ever said um they've kind of asked the person and they don't want it has anybody ever um, not in like i'm sure this probably happened before but like Mm. when i was going when i was going with like the young women and things like that you always just said yes 
And I think a part of me was like too scared to say no. It's kind of like, I was like, it's a bit yes. awkward when someone's standing there. And so, yeah, I was just said yes. <laughs> wow, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so uh, I was going to ask you about some rituals and, and activities. So again, as a Jehovah's Witness, we'd have our set meetings every every week. For me, when I was growing up, it was sort of three evenings a week, but five meetings, um, so some doubled up. Um, but you do them every week and you'd have meetings for field service on a Saturday and a Sunday. And you've got this kind of, um, this cycle of activity. Did you have that? Did you have like a, you know? Definitely. Um, yeah. So when I, they've reduced the Sunday service now, but when I was going, uh, it was three hours church service on a Sunday. Um, oh. Then Monday evening was family home evening. So you just, you know, study the, scriptures together whatever um tuesday night was young women's or young men's or if you are over the age of 17 either a tuesday or wednesday you'd have young adults which is basically like Mm -hmm. dating (laughs) um Ah, and then wednesday we'd have seminary um seminary school so whatever the whether it's the book of mormon uh old testament new testament or doctrine and covenants you'd go and study whatever it was for that year um on a wednesday night um and then well it depends normally seminary you could either do it we did it all in one go it was a couple hours um some churches will do it spread across the week so you go like for an hour every weekday and things like that Hmm. Um, so i guess so i guess your life was kind of revolved a lot around these activities it was very much focused around that i guess yeah it's very busy Um, so it it kind of is like one of those things that kind of the more you focus on that the less you think about other things because if you're kind of constantly mm-hmm. thinking because you know especially with seminary school you'd always have homework and scripture mastery and things like that so you'd have to go away and read yeah. these chapters and memorize so many verses I think there was every year I think there was 60 verses that you have to, to know off the top of your head in order to kind of oh, wow. graduate seminary school um Right. And I like as I was really into it as well. I think that is is kind of the thing now that I'm out. I kind of see in myself is that I didn't even question it at the time. I felt like so positive that it, it was true that I didn't even need to listen to anyone else. And no matter kind of what anyone mm. would say to me, I kind of didn't even listen because I was like, but you know, I know it's true. And I loved it. I just loved going to seminary school and reading and praying and everything like that. Cool. I was going to ask you actually whether you um, you had any doubts as as you were growing up and as you were doing all this this stuff. Um, it sounds like you didn't. You were you were well well and truly into it. Was it. Well and truly, there, there was a couple of times when I thought, well, this is a bit. They they don't kind of tell you everything all at once, and I think that's okay. kind of they 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 keep all like the weird stuff or the stuff that might make you doubt your testimony until you get older, I think, and you kind of more ingrained because um, yeah. as one of our seminary lessons, we learned um, about <laughs> what well, was the first time I think I was about fifteen. I learned that that they used to not allow people of color to hold the priesthood within the church. Um, so yeah. the the yeah. priesthood is basically um, men only, obviously men only um, to hold positions in the church have the priesthood, and it gives them the power of discernment 
and the power to talk to God directly. So your bishop, for example, will know if you're lying because he'll use the power of discernment to know if you're telling the truth about something and and things like that. And in order to hold positions in the church, you have to hold the priesthood. Um, and in order to go to the temple, if you don't hold as as a, as you can go to the temple if you don't have the priesthood, but they would not allow also people of color to go to the temple. So they couldn't do like baptisms mm-hmm. for the dead or get endowments or get married in the temple or any kind of the stuff that you need to get into the, the highest level of heaven. They would just not allow people to huh. do. Which is <laughs> like reading, the more I read it now that I'm out, it's like super, mm-hmm. super racist. Like they believed mm-hmm. um, that white people are like, the clean people and if your skin is dark that you're unclean and you're cursed and that god will make your skin white um which they they deny now they say that it was meant symbolically that that it was symbolic but that's not what they preached at the time particularly people like brigham young um who was a a prophet of the church said really horrible Mm. things um and they 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 tried to say that the prophet i can't remember which which prophet it was that had the revelation that people of color could hold the priesthood they like to say it was a revelation from god but it was actually that they were getting sued for racial yes. discrimination um <laughs> which i again i didn't know mm. until i was out and this video that they played in seminary was all about it kind of like stereotypical people in Africa writing letters to the bishop and to the president and praying and then eventually their prayers are answered and they make it kind of this big special thing and that God just changed his mind and how how amazing it was and then kind of now to find out it was it wasn't anything special it was that they didn't want to get sued so they changed their mind and it's just I think there's kind of yeah several little things yeah. but that was the first thing that I was kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> Why would you stop someone doing something because of the color of their skin? And I think I'd, I'd looked a little bit and I'd asked one of the, the leaders and he was like, oh, well, you know, sometimes prophets say things as a man rather than speaking for God. You know, they can make mistakes. And I kind of just accepted that, but it kind of was always like... Mm-hmm a bit weird um but i just kind of i think it just kind of buried it and i was like well Mm -hmm. i guess that's the reason why and didn't think about it after that yeah it's really interesting i mean as as a jehovah's witness we would be told so so organizations have a problem because as they um hang around long enough then obviously society changes its attitudes towards things and often that's you know for for good Obviously, it's clearly good that we um, we think that, that that activity is racist, but the the churches have a have a problem because they've got to somehow explain why they're changing their practices. So yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses talk about increasing light, so that's the um, the way they get around that. So you know, light's increasing constantly, and anything that changes, well, that's increased light on the situation now, you know. So never does anyone say, yeah, we were wrong about that. (laughs) Um, We now, we now know better. No, this Mm -hmm. is increasing lights, you know, and and obviously it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny, but um, that's the, the the way that it's explained away. So yeah, that's very interesting. Um, Selena, I'm sure you're you're fascinated by it. Have you got any questions you want to? uh, Yeah, I was going to say, 
as well um so when you were still in um like what was the LDS's stance on women because I know for the JWs it's very patriarchal and to be honest quite misogynistic (laughs) um what was it like um you know from your point of view growing up in the LDS it's it's pretty much the same to be honest they they believe that that men and women have their roles and the woman's role is to be in the home and to have children um because they Mm. basically because of the whole spirit children in heaven thing i think it's it's a woman's responsibility or a couple's responsibility to bring as many children into the world to bring as many spirit children down to be tested um kind of conveniently it then obviously gives them more numbers in the church but they Mm. they that's what they believe and i'd say it's changed a little bit over the course of time like i've got books that were written in kind of like the late 80s and 90s where they were like really really big and saying you know women definitely shouldn't be working they should be having a job um you know and is some of like ridiculous things like if if a woman goes into work then she's obviously gonna have a chance to have an affair or be tempted by other people because all the men are going to be looking at her you know her children are going to grow up unhappy and things like that so they kind of pressure you into kind of that that's your role is to get married and Mm -hmm. to have children and if you have to work then that's okay but you know you're probably not a very good mother um right and it Mm. all the whole kind of like modesty and chastity and things like that is all aimed at women as well Mm. which I know is Mm -hmm. not exclusive to the Mormon church but kind of it's always on the uh the women that you are a temptation for men men can't control themselves they can't control their thoughts or their behaviors so if you the prophet actually said that if you dress immodestly then then you are walking pornography um oh and yeah yeah it Mm. is like like and i think like even showing things like your shoulders you know if you can't wear like Mm. strappy tops or anything like that you have to wear t-shirts long Mm. skirts you know long tops Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's very, very much on the women to be the ones that, well, it's, it's like, it's your fault. If, if, if you have like premarital sex, it's predominantly the woman's fault for putting herself in a situation or, you know, for dressing a certain way and things like mm-hmm. that. And they can take it to extremes as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, they have a, a university, well, they have a couple of universities that, that the Mormon church owns. Um, that have like chastity and moral things and stuff to be on campus and to live on campus and things like that and there's been situations Mm. where a woman's gone over to a guy's flat or house or whatever and has been raped and they've actually suspended her because they said she put herself in that situation she was breaking codes of conduct anyway so you know it's (laughs) it's not it's not good and no I kind of well I didn't realize that it was wrong at the time growing up I just thought that I was the wrong person you know that I was at fault and I to a certain extent I was like well boys should be taught the same thing like I shouldn't just be the one being taught this they should be taught it as well but it it kind of didn't stop me feeling guilty 
for wearing something that was immodest or you know they you know you're not you're not allowed to start dating until you're 16 um and yeah it's just it's hard it's hard now being out of it um because there's a lot of stuff to unpack post leaving it's not like you leave and then all that just goes away yeah Um, you've been it's a bit I mean for a long time yeah yeah I mean I don't mind like talking it's a bit like depressing to bring up but um I was actually Mm. sexually abused when I was in the church and they tell you that because it's not always obviously the things that they say it's obviously the things they don't say as well so no one ever said if you're abused it's not your fault and well there's people that have actually (laughs) said you could be partially responsible so kind of just growing up thinking well because I've broken the law of chastity I'm now a terrible person I there was probably about two years that I spent from when I was at the time I was like 13 till I was 15 I would pray every night for forgiveness for it which is insane like now that I think about it now I'm like obviously it wasn't my fault none of it was my fault but I felt so guilty um and thinking that I was going to be unclean and you know they would say like no no man is going to want to marry someone who's broken the law of chastity they want someone who's clean and things like that so you kind of internalize all of that really toxic environment yeah yeah i think there are lots of parallels um between the you know the 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 religion i was brought up in and and what you're describing there um Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely the the emphasis on women to um yeah to avoid what is essentially the man's problem if if a man does something like that it's his problem isn't it um and yet the blame is put onto onto the woman yeah um so i Mm i i was gonna ask you actually uh bethan whether you describe so i I describe jehovah's witnesses as a high control group um and sometimes i call it a cult because that's a shorthand way of talking about it yeah are you comfortable with with calling the the mormon church a cult or is that is that something different Uh, and i'm genuinely curious because i think it's a you know a kind of complex question what what do you think about that i i would definitely now i would definitely say that that it's it would be a cult um i probably wouldn't have when i when i first left i was just kind of like oh you know i i didn't really see the difference between it and christianity but the kind of more i looked back on it and i was like well you know they they make you dress a certain way and act a certain way and you're not allowed to have certain foods and you know someone else has that control over you You know if you transgress you know being sorry in yourself is not good enough you have to go and confess it to your bishop and then he's going to decide how you should be punished and it's kind of all very much controlling and it's kind of fear and guilt that they use to mm. control people yeah. so it it's kind of i know there's like certain aspects of other kind of christian religions that can be similar but you know there's a lot of differences and it's a lot more controlling definitely in terms of that sort of thing yeah yeah that's fair and i guess enough, like yeah. you said earlier about the degree to how much um time it just takes up of your life yeah. as opposed to mm. you know 
some people that go to churches on a Sunday or when they want to, like, you know, yeah. um, I have friends that say that they're Catholic, but they probably go twice a year um, <laughs> and no one kicks them out or gets, you know, <laughs> you know gets annoyed at them for that. Um, yeah, it's a different situation, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe. It's just a click or a tap but it means that the show gets recognised as something of potential value and interest to others. And it's the main way that we know people care about what we're doing. So if you've not already done so, please click subscribe or follow on whatever podcast app you're using. Thank you. And on with the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's um, that's one of the classic um techniques that high control groups have is they keep you really really busy um Mm. so i know that was the same with me you know it's like all these meetings you've got to prepare for them got to get out on the ministry um it is a real hamster wheel constantly constantly and you know i did i did hear especially the men they would complain about that you know to each other not to the um the leaders but they would say how busy they are and how hard yeah. it is and so on and so on so i think i think there's an awareness of that but it's all done to um i guess to keep you busy so you don't actually think about anything else and you're you're kind of constantly so it's this prison of the mind isn't it um you're you're thinking about it constantly and it is that then you don't actually need anybody else to watch what you're doing because you're watching yourself yeah and it just becomes mm. um that, that prison of the mind I think I probably left at a good time because um, I think I was about 17 when I left. And that's the kind of age you, you move up from kind of the youth groups to going into um, with the co-relief society for the women. Um, and kind of once you hit that age, you're looking at being able to do kind of callings in the church where you teach primary school or as, as a woman, you're not allowed to do anything like important is <laughs> important. But any of the more interesting stuff, you, you basically can either teach young women or primary school or um I guess actually about it primary school Sunday school or you can like conduct the music you know um or play the piano those are kind of like the the things and that's when you when you kind of go into Relief Society that's when you can kind of start having those sort of callings or um when you're a bit older potentially go on a a mission as well Mm. so I kind of got out before I got sucked into that sort of thing yeah no it's like when we're talking to Ali um a while ago about being um you know an ex-witness and asked about yeah the the gendered situation and she was saying you know yeah you don't get to be elders and that sort of thing if you're a woman you get to make cake for when they come out of the elders meeting (laughs) exactly they just very very much like that so I know um reading your blog uh bethan you talk a little bit about um your sexuality as being something that was one of the catalysts for you leaving um is that something you want to talk about or if you don't yeah, want to talk I'm about a, that's, okay. that's really cool. yeah i think it kind of was more of a of a realization later on i think another thing with the mormon church is they very much control kind of your understanding of things and the the language that they use, like they they would never describe something as you know being gay or being lesbian or being bisexual. They would always say like same gender attraction, and mm. they portray it in a way that you're just confused. 
and you know that's all it is and loads of people have confusing feelings but that doesn't mean you should act upon them and so I just always was like well I just appreciate women for being beautiful I'm not attracted to them and I kind of that's what I said like I would go and see a film and see see you know a woman I liked and I'd be like well I'm just appreciating her beauty that doesn't mean that I you know fancy her or anything like that um and then it was when I started university and I was like oh wait a minute <laughs> like that that's actually not true um and I I know I I think I've heard it on on this podcast but I've spoken to like other people who said the same thing where you just like I just thought I was really good at the whole chastity thing in terms of like not fancying mm-hmm. boys like in terms of a, a, a preference um it's it's kind of it lean I understand now that it leans towards women but I didn't fancy any of the boys in my in my church and I was like not interested and I just thought that I was just super good at it and really pure and <laughs> it sounds like really self-righteous now but that's what I believed I was like I'm, I don't have no problems doing this I don't want to kiss any of the boys it's fine um and yeah, when I I realized it, I was like, oh wait a minute, <laughs> this is this is not what I think it was. Um, so yeah, that was. I mean, the one of the big reasons I I, res- I only resigned my membership of the church this year, even though I I haven't actually. I think I, well, I was just say I was about seventeen when I stopped going to meetings, and it was actually because I had an argument with one of the, <laughs> one of the leaders there um, because my. When I first started going to church, my parents went with me, um, went as a family and things like that. And eventually both of my parents stopped going, but they actually knew a lot of people within the church because my my parents actually met when my mum came over to the UK on a mission herself. Um, so my dad lived mm. in, in the UK. My mum came over as a missionary and they met and got on really well. And after she went back to the US, they wrote letters back and forth and eventually he proposed and, and things like that so they moved back here when I was 11 and so a lot of the congregation is met up made up of people that both of my parents knew at some point when she'd been over here before so they was kind of always the the bishop at the time as a matter of fact was the one that was a bishop when my mum had, had come over on a mission so they both knew a lot of people um there and so it kind of I felt like a bit extra pressure to kind of behave and and that people were watching because people knew my parents quite well for a very long time um but when my parents stopped going my dad in particular was he never said anything to me directly but he (laughs) he definitely wasn't had had come to the conclusion that the Mormon church wasn't true and would say things to other people in the church that tried to kind of preach to him and say, well, you know, Joseph Smith was a murderer or he married underage girls or things like that. And one day I was in church and afterwards this woman came up to me and I was only, like I said, I was only about 17. And she's like, you know, she told me I needed to move out of my parents' house and that they were a bad influence on me um, and things like that, saying like, horrible things about my dad and you know he was going to make me leave the church and that she'd left her parents when she was a teenager and that I should just move out and I was like no (laughs) like I I I was I'm very close to well I was close to both Mm. my parents and 
it made me so angry. I was like, <laughs> you know, how dare you? you don't know anything about me. Don't know anything about my life, mm. you know? And I went home and I was like, I'm not going back there. And I kind of justified it in my head at the time. And I was like, well, you don't have to be in a building to, you know, worship God. And I decided that I wasn't going to go, but I was still going to like read my book of Mormon and pray and do all the things that I would normally do. Um, and then mm. kind of once you're out of the routine then of, of doing all your, you know, seminary school and church and everything like that, I kind of started to think about it less and less. And then starting university then really helped me to yeah. see things a little bit more clearly then as well. Um, so it sounds like a gradual process, really, that you, um, you you started to. So it's quite interesting. I don't know whether you're familiar with some of the um, the the kind of acronyms that Jehovah's Witnesses use, but they, they talk about being POMI. Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so physically out, mentally in. So it sounds like when you first left, you were kind of physically out, but you still thought that Mormonism was was true because you were yeah. reading your books and so on, yeah? Um, yeah, it, it took a good long time for me to, yeah. I'd say up until, even up until probably about a year and a half ago, I was still convinced that there was a God, you know, I, I, hmm. I, I was supposed to say, I didn't think about it. after I left, after a little while, I started to do things kind of less and less, and then I just stopped thinking about it. Um, and it wasn't until, say, say it was maybe about two, two years ago, maybe less than that my partner my now husband said you know this really good youtube thing it was actually atheist experience he's like you should listen to it you know it's really good because he's 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 an he's actually next jehovah's witness himself ah, um okay. and he, he he's now an atheist and he's like you should listen to it hmm. and i started listening to it and kind of i was working nights at the time and obviously then last year with covid i was working at home all the time so i just kind of <laughs> it's been like a full kind of 10 hour chef just listening to it. Um, and then it kind of like convinced me that actually, you know, I didn't have enough reason to believe in a God and, you know, kind of got me out of that. And then it, it got me thinking more about the Mormon church. And I was like, I, even though I'm not going anymore, I don't want my name to kind of be one of their numbers saying that this is how many members we have, even though I'm not active and I, right. and I don't believe. Okay. Um, so then I was like, I need to, I need to get rid of this and start, you know. So you, you did your resignation uh, letter. I, I saw you uh, again on your blog. You talk about that. Um, so I, I, what's the situation with um, people who leave uh, the the church? Um, so for a Jehovah's Witness, if they write a letter like that, then that's called disassociation, and basically they're treated they're shunned and treated as if they're disfellowshipped. Is it the same in the Mormons or, or is it a bit more relaxed? It's a bit more, it's, I was full, it's, it's, it's a bit more relaxed generally, um, mm. particularly outside of Utah. It's a lot mm. more relaxed. People generally will still associate with you, but they'll make it clear that if, if you, for example, go out for a meal they might ask that you not drink alcohol because you're not supposed to drink alcohol, okay. but they would yeah. still speak to you and things like that okay. within Utah, yeah. because that's kind of where Mormonism is based. There's mm. people who are a lot more strict with it. So like my family is complicated, but my grandfather in particular is um, 
very strict with what he thinks is right and what he thinks is wrong and has said and done things to my mother um, that, you know, a normal person or a normal person wouldn't say and do. So like mm-hmm. when I was quite young and they stopped going to the Mormon church, he told my mother that she was a bad mother and that she should give my sister and I to her sister who would kind of raise us in the church. Mm. And, mm. you know, I can, I didn't understand it at the time, but he, he, it was kind of like relentless for like quite some time of him telling her that, that it wasn't mm. going to work, that we were going to grow up in sin and whatever else. And even now uh, I stopped speaking to my grandfather when I was about 16, I would, I would like regularly phone him and, it kind of always bothered me that he never bothered to phone me like the entire time we've lived here. He's never phoned once and he's quite well off. It's not like there's no like excuse for him not to ring me. He has time. He has the money. It's not going to be a burden on him that way. And he never bothered. And so when I was about, well, I was, I think it was just before I left the church, I'd rung him and asked him at, cause at the time, uh, it would take forever to get like books and CDs and stuff to come into the UK. So I'd regularly ask my aunt to send me things um, so that I have them like a few weeks before they came out over here. And I'd asked him to send me a CD um, and he said he would. And the next time I rang him, he asked to speak to my mother, which I knew was up because they, they obviously have relationship <laughs> problems. And he again was like telling her what a bad mother that he'd gone to look at the CD and I think one of the songs had like the word whiskey in like the title of it. And he was so offended. He refused to buy it. But then he told my mother that they wouldn't be sending anything again and that she was a bad parent and things like that. Mm. And at that time, then I was old enough to be like, that's not acceptable. Like if you have a problem with my taste in music, then you can tell it to me. Like you don't mm. say it to my mother. So mm. I, I didn't like ring him after that. Um, and then about two years ago, I wrote him a letter and was like, told him how disappointed I was that we'd had, you know, didn't have a good relationship and that mm. I wasn't in the church anymore. I wasn't going to ever be in the church anymore, that I didn't, you know, believe that it was true and that kind of thing. Told him I was mm. engaged um, and my kind of living situation and things like that. And he wrote me back but he refused to acknowledge that I was in a relationship because living in mm. sin. Um, he refused to acknowledge mm. it, didn't ask me about it or anything like that. Um, and he basically was like, oh, everyone has a choice to believe whatever they want to believe. And if you don't believe it, then it, it mm. they kind of, it's your free will. Um, and then kind of since then, he's, I, I think the last years I've sent him, load, well, I've sent him a couple letters and then quite a few emails and he's just, Mm. not responded to any of them um Mm. which is like hurtful for me because particularly as a Mm. as a child I didn't see the whole kind of stuff between my parents and and him so like going over my grandparents I, I absolutely loved and so I have like a lot of fond memories of going over there and mm. the relationship we had and so mm. it's kind of hard to accept that someone isn't gonna love and accept you for who you are um it, it is so difficult I, I know yeah there's lots of people in in similar situations and it's it's heartbreaking really 
Um, I mean, the only way I can reconcile these sorts of things is that, um, you know, the individuals involved are, um, they're, they're kind of um, conditioned, aren't they, to believe these things. And, and yeah. this is their, I guess, natural reaction to those things. So, um, yeah, it's not, it doesn't make it any easier, but it m- might explain it in some in some respect, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. You said that uh, with the Mormons, it's very like they won't outwardly uh, say say things against like the LGBT community. It's more like saying, "Oh, people are confused and stuff." Um, so, um, was that a big part of you wanting to write your letter as well to say that you're not okay with that stance and that sort of thing? Or yeah, that was a big part of it because because mm-hmm. I'd been out of it for for quite some time. Um, when I kind of started thinking about it again and and looking back and and reading things and things like that, um, I found mm-hmm. out that in 2015, it's it's really it's horrendous. But in 2015, they decided that if they if there was like a a gay couple whose child was in the Mormon Church, um, that they wouldn't allow that child to get baptized um, until they were 16. Mm-hmm. And when they turned 16, they could get baptized, but only if they moved out of their parents' house and um, announced they disapproved of their lifestyle. And right. I yeah. I was just completely shocked by that. I, mm-hmm. I, I was like, I don't understand how you, because family is such an important thing within the Mormon church. And I was like telling a 16-year-old mm-hmm. child to not speak to their, you know, not speak to the parents, tell their parents that they're wrong in order to get baptized is just a horrible thing to do um and for a short Mm -hmm. time although you could technically get um excommunicated if you act upon gay thoughts so like if you Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to like get married or anything like that that will get you excommunicated so it was that at the time but then they specifically said it is apostasy to be in a kind of homosexual relationship of any kind okay and so i think really it, strongly against it then yeah yeah i mean they've, they've always said like you can't act upon it so if you have confused thoughts that you should try and push past it and still you know get married to someone of the opposite sex and things like that but if you can't then you just have to be celibate your entire life you cannot be in a relationship you cannot move in with someone or anything like that um okay. And because there was a massive backlash um, from that, then there was thousands of people um, resigning from the church because of it. And in 2019, Mm -hmm. they had to go back and say, oh, we changed it now. You know, God's changed his mind again (laughs) and has said it's okay to um, get baptized. You know, being gay is still wrong, but you can now get baptized. You don't Mm -hmm. have to kind of disavow your parents. Um, but it was reading right. that it was, I was so disgusted by it. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't be a member of something that would ever do that because mm-hmm. it's, it's, I can't imagine how hard it would be, particularly, um, for someone whose parents weren't in the Mormon church that was affected by that, because I know mm-hmm. how it would have made me feel if I'd been in that situation. Um, because I, I'm, you know, you love your parents dearly and to kind of have to choose between them or your religion is mm. as a, as a child basically is not a good position to put someone in. So mm. 
yeah it's mm-hmm. kind of what's what's made me get back into kind of talking about it and things like that because they like to I, I know I've like mentioned it on Twitter a few times they like to kind of keep you thinking that there's nothing outside the church you know um and mm-hmm. if you leave you know all the worldly people it's a bad place mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and it was kind of even though I kind of left angry and kind of because I'd had an argument with someone I was still afraid of kind of associating with certain people or kind of being myself around certain people mm-hmm. um I say myself I, I didn't even really know who I was because I'd kind of fit myself into this box to kind of be a good person in the you know the church's eyes and things like that um and so kind of I think it's important that people know that they're you know they're not alone and mm-hmm. you know outside of the church and even outside of family you can still find a, a community that's supportive um absolutely yeah that that's one of the most important things I think that um took me a long time to learn that as well actually that you know these again it's just the language is so similar you know worldly people it's um you know there's nothing out there for you um it, it's just yeah this this uh generating fear of the outside world to yeah. keep you in um I was going to actually ask you you mentioned about understanding yourself uh Beth and I was going to ask you about identity because it's one of the areas that I'm personally interested in um about how our identity um is constructed after we leave so you know once you leave a group like that that's all encompassing um you thought of yourself a certain way and then when you leave you kind of have some work to do to make sense of who you are does that do do you recognize that yourself is that something you had to go through yourself definitely I think particularly when it, it comes to kind of the sort of chastity and dressing a certain way I wasn't comfortable for for a really long time with wearing certain clothes or doing certain things or even drinking alcohol um I still don't drink coffee but only because I don't I don't like the taste of it but I I still felt guilt (laughs) even though I was like years later I still felt guilt over over certain things not being comfortable in my own body because of the way that it, it kind of was ingrained in me that you know wearing a spaghetti strap top is you know slutty or whatever that it still was really hard I didn't feel confident enough to do that and so it, it's it's still even now I would say a, a part of me where I kind of look at something and I think oh do I want to wear that out you know and <laughs> to kind of stop myself and be like no there's nothing wrong with you know this or wearing this or going here um but kind of getting out of that and I'd say particularly in the last two years when I've kind of been focusing on it a bit more I've grown quite a lot because I didn't realize kind of I think self-righteous might sound like be a bit harsh but I would say that I, I definitely was like that because I believed you know I believed what I thought was right and hmm. you know everyone else is is not living in the correct way or whatever and having to kind of undo all of that in my head Mm -hmm. and 
you know, I never considered myself to be like homophobic, but I still held the beliefs that, you know, you shouldn't act upon gay thoughts. Mm. So I would always say, oh, well, you know, I was never homophobic because I never used, you know, derogatory words towards someone who was gay or something. Mm. But now I'm like, well, actually I was because I would still openly say to someone, oh, well, you know, I don't approve of your lifestyle. And it's kind of like embarrassing now to think about stuff that I did or stuff that I said when I was in the church. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like learning as well that that is wrong to say that is wrong um, and kind of hurtful to other people. And that was that's kind of been a gradual thing for me because you don't kind of think, mm-hmm. oh, well, everything I believed is wrong. You, I've kind of like learned it gradually. Well, actually thinking thinking that way isn't actually nice it's not the way things are um and that's kind of developed over time yeah that's really interesting i mean it's it's part of the reason for this podcast really because obviously it's called what should i think about dot dot question mark and and it's that for me was a period and it i guess in some respects it's still going on where you you've been conditioned to believe that you've kind of got answers for all the big questions, you know? Yeah. What do I think about this? What do I think about assisted dying? What do I think about um, uh, LGBTQ issues? What do I think about politics and so on and so on and so on? And um, for, for me, that was all mapped out. I didn't have to yeah. worry about any of those questions because I knew the answers. I just had to look in the book, you know? Um, and I, I guess for you, that's that sounds like a lot of that was was what you were going through as well and that takes some time doesn't it to work all that out yeah it's like everything at one point was black and white it's either wrong or Mm. it's right yeah and yeah Yeah. so getting out of that it's kind of like well wait a second is it's actually not that straightforward um that's right and yeah Mm. you i'd say university is a massive thing yeah exactly you know um Mm. and yeah because it it I did sociology at university and it kind of, you know, you get to learn about different people and different cultures and different things. And I was kind of like open to things and it, you know, it encourages you to learn and to read and get to Mm. know people and not be afraid of someone that has a different idea to you or a different lifestyle to you. And um, in terms of like getting me out of that kind of box, it definitely, Mm. it definitely helped a lot it quite liberating rather than scary then when you left that you were able to like all of a sudden lots of different options were open to you um I think certain things yes I think certain things mm-hmm. now now I definitely feel liberated but kind of at the time I was still kind of like guilty so mm. when I first started going out with my partner for example um and we had a lot in common because like one of the first things he brought up was being an ex-witness and I was like oh I'm an ex-Mormon and Mm. kind of we bonded over our (laughs) kind of cult experiences Um, (laughs) and he was actually the first person I I ever went out with Um, and I think it's 26 when we started dating so it's kind of like saying something is that so we started going out and I was like look I'm not gonna want to hold your hand I'm not gonna want to kiss you for like a long time because I've got I'm going to ease myself into this um yeah. so I think we, we were dating for quite like quite a few weeks before I was like okay I think I'm ready to kind of go on to the next thing now um and so 
now I definitely I'm I'm kind of a lot more out of that mindset but every time come something kind of challenges that old kind of belief system it takes me a little while to kind of push through it and get over it mm-hmm. and then once I've kind of broken that down it definitely feels feels more liberating um yeah the, the process sometimes it just is is quite scary and I do <laughs> do feel quite bad uh, I did did feel quite bad over a few things and then I'm kind of like <laughs> that's that's really I was going to ask you actually whether you uh, ever found yourself going into your old sort of patterns of of thought and so you sort of answered that question I mean I've been out of my thing over 20 years and um, I think by now I feel like it's gone you know um, yeah. but it, it does take it does take time doesn't it I think the hard thing for me now is that um, reading things and like new announcements from the church or articles or talks that they've given and stuff I'm, I'm trying to kind of keep up to date and write a bit more about things but it can be so triggering for me sometimes because it makes me so angry um mm. that I can't do it like there was a an article I think it's about two or three weeks ago that they that they did was basically saying that um we shouldn't be supporting single mothers and that love and understanding was the wrong way to go about supporting someone who was gay and things like that and mm. I kind of got a, a couple of paragraphs into it and I was so angry I couldn't finish reading it mm. and so I still I was gonna write about it but then I was like I can't do it because I just get so wound up and it takes me kind of days sometimes to get all the way through something even though it's quite short because I still mm. get quite angry over it and it's kind of my goal mm. eventually to not be that way like in in it's obviously okay to be angry but not in a way where I have to like actually put it away for the day where I it's just it's yeah. hard now to I, I, to go back I really identify with that, that. yeah I, I, I mean a lot of the activist community um that that I sort of associate with um you know it, it can I think you can get to a point where you just need to give it a rest for a little bit I know I do sometimes do you know that's just it's just getting to me now <laughs> I need yeah. to just leave it for a little bit and I can come back to it later but um because it yeah if you're not careful it, I guess it can um either bring up some of the old feelings but perhaps more yeah feelings of frustration and um upset that other people are, are going through all those things yeah yeah um, I was gonna ask you actually whether you um whether you ever felt embarrassed about your past so I I know I I've talked about this on, on the podcast before. It, it took me a long time to be kind of open with people and say that, yeah, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness and I, I didn't leave till I was about 30. I wouldn't tell anybody. I kept it kind of, I, I didn't put it on my CV or anything. You know, it was all very quiet. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Did you ever feel embarrassed about it? or? I, I um, definitely, yeah. Uh, I still, when I, um, I, when I did my resignation uh, for leaving the church, I was like, I feel like I need to say this because I still have like friends on Facebook that I went to church with. And I was like, I I, I yeah. don't want them thinking me as an ex-member. So I was like, I'm going to put it on Facebook. But I, I changed the privacy settings. So I was like, I'm only going to include like all my family and all my Mormon friends and no one from like work or anything. Because I was like, they're going to think I'm weird. Uh-huh. But I'm like, I used to be in a cult <laughs> and this is why I'm leaving. <laughs> so I I do eventually want to get to the place where I can talk about it more openly, but I, I said probably still in that now where I'm like, 
don't I don't mm. want people thinking like I'm the I'm the weird one, you know. So <laughs> it's kind of been a, I think that's, a, a gradual thing. Yeah, that's completely understandable. But it's it's a uh, um, yeah something that I felt for quite a long time, and and now I don't. Um, I don't feel that anymore, um, which is great. But it does take for me. It took it took some time, but yeah, it's um, and of course it's it's. It, we we shouldn't feel um, embarrassed because we were raised um, in these groups, and anyway, anybody can get involved in them. It's just um, yeah. you know, it's they're, they're using normal psychological processes, and um, and that's you know, it's so easy to get involved. So um, yeah. yeah, but we do, I think, I understand that completely. Is there anything that you'd like to say before we uh, before we wrap up? Is there anything that you think? Oh, I wish I'd said that, or we missed that. Um, there's nothing that I can really think of. Um, probably just, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, what, what, what you guys are doing and everything. Um, you know, it's not, for me, it's not just obviously like the ex-Mormon community, but I have quite a lot of people I follow, um, that are ex-Jehovah's Witnesses as well. Mm-hmm. And because there's kind of so much crossover, um, mm-hmm. it, it helps a lot of people. Um, so I, I just think it's it's important for anyone just to kind of be, be open-minded and, and kind of listen to things as they're, even if they're yeah, still kind of it, active and things like that. It's, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of nice to have, um, you know, some fellowship, isn't it? Between X um, of various different denominations. Yeah. Um, so I, and I find it fascinating that the similarities are so, so much of what you said today rings so mm-hmm. many bells. I mean, the, the belief system is very different, but the, um, the, the thinking and the, the, the way that people are encouraging you to behave and the control yeah. absolutely rings so many bells. Mm. Mm. Right, well, um, I, I guess all that remains is, is for me to say thank you very much, Beth, and I, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, our chat today. I'm sure I speak yeah. for Celine as well. No, it's been lovely to have you on. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 